So it is now freezing cold in Minnesota, Andy, and we're all avid indoorsmen and indoors people, I guess you could say. What what have you been watching lately? I, I'm always fascinated because you you're never you have all these like movies and shows that I've never heard of before that you're watching, and then you'll like tune me onto them, and then I'll just be like totally you know into it. So I, I want to know what what have you been watching lately? Yeah, I'm sure this is exactly what everyone on the podcast really wants to know. But I I feel like my reputation it's been a, it's been an issue around our house that I I don't feel like I've been able to watch enough TV and. It's, I don't know what it's, it happened the other night where Kara was busy. It's always Kara, it's not me. And I'm like, are we going to start watching stuff? Because you know how this is in relationships, that there are shows you have to watch together, you know? And she's like, well, I have to help Maisie with her homework or something. I'm like, listen, man, I have a reputation. (laughs) I got to keep watching this stuff. I'm so far behind. So I feel like I'm slipping as being like the one who's watched everything. I'm meeting more and more people and they've watched a lot more than I have, and I'm not caught up on a, a lot of stuff. But one thing that caught my imagination recently was uh, we were on a car, and I were on a flight back um, from from the UK uh, a few weeks ago, and I I don't know what I was watching. I started just watching. I think I was I think I was watching just episodes of The Office. Like I've just it was like towards the end of the flight, and it's like I can't cope with anything else. I'm just watching. Like old episodes of The Office, but she it's was the watching the equivalent this. of comfort food. Yeah. Ab- absolutely, it absolutely is the equivalent yeah. of, of comfort food, and uh, and she was watching this show that she like even over my headphones I could hear her humming and hawing like oh my oh oh my gosh crazy this is this is crazy, and it was an HBO show so she's like you gotta watch this and I have to admit to people listening on the podcast that I have not seen all the episodes so I think it's six episodes in the first season and I've watched the first three and I know Derek you've watched the first one because I told you about this but it's called the rehearsal and it's I don't know what how would you even describe it Derek it's like it's not. There's a point to all this, people, so hang in there. But it's it's not a reality show, but it kind of is a reality show. It's definitely not a scripted show. Um, I guess it's more reality show than anything else. But it's about this guy who, at least in the pilot episode, which I think is the most interesting one for us to talk about, is uh, he he meets this guy who's got – I don't know. What what did he say he did? Like some, some uh, news – like some ad for someone who had to tell something, tell somebody something they really were frightened to tell. It was them. like a, it was like a confession that they hadn't made that they needed know that they needed to. Or yeah. yeah, yeah. So he meets this guy, and what he ends up doing, and this is going to be wild if people haven't heard, heard seen this show yet or heard about it, but he creates a lie. He create he creates a whole set of this guy's life, like his apartment so that he can prepare to talk to him. And then the guy needs to confess to a friend at a bar during trivia night. Like, uh, well, it, it doesn't seem to be the greatest, the deepest of confessions to me, but that he had kind of lied about his education, but he was really worried that it could ruin this, this friendship. He, he lied about not having a master's degree, which I, I thought was hilarious you know? right like he's, he's just torn up about the fact that he told his friends he had a master's degree i know and he actually didn't have one and those yeah. of us in theological education lie about have uh, you know about we, we lie in the other direction we lie that we do have them because we're embarrassed of them yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. right 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 <laughs> yeah when people ask us do you have a master's degree oh crap i don't want to just talk about what an mdiv is yeah but it's not a yeah. real one it's a <laughs> master divinity you've never heard of it before right <laughs> 
it's the master of God. Yeah, so it's crazy, though. It really is wild that he sets up this whole this this whole set. I don't know. That sounds redundant. But it, and, and so he can go over all contingencies with this guy. And he's even has like a flow chart that he has of what you say if this happens and what you do if that happens. And it's crazy. I mean, it absolutely is crazy. And watching it, I couldn't tell if I was really moved by it and thought it was the coolest thing I've ever seen or maybe the most grotesque thing I've ever seen. I mean, now that 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 sounds a little, you know, maybe a little dramatic, but there was something really fascinating about it. And I was had just come from a group of pastors that we'd been reading Hartmont Rose's little book, The Uncontrollability of the World. And which I would really recommend to anyone. I think it's a great little book. And if you if you need your your entry drug into Rosa, it's the it's the way to go. But Rosa makes this argument that he thinks one of the biggest issues we face, or what keeps us, as we've talked about on this podcast, from resonance, is that a huge component of resonance, maybe the most important component of resonance, is the fact that resonance is uncontrollable, that you cannot control it. And that when we try to put our hands on things and control them, we often do away with residents. We do violence to residents. We we short circuit residents. And I just this show is so amazing because this guy clearly I don't know what you make and, and people listening probably know more about about the 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 creator of the show, but there's clearly a kind of sense of anxiety and um, and fear of not doing it right. So his method is to control every variable to the point of doing every menial social interaction, like rehearsing it and rehearsing over and over and over again. So it's a kind of sense of taking the stage and theater into your life writ large so that like he's essentially rehearsing going to the bank, rehearsing having a conversation with somebody about, you know, what they're interested in. It, it, it was it's just really wild the 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 move in this but i do think there's something that's really interesting about our our late modern period that connects to this and how this controllability kind of functions. And one of the things that Rosa gets at in this book, he starts, and, and Derek, you and I have, have a lot of connection with this living in Minnesota, is that he starts the whole book talking about snow. And that uh, that snow is often this experience, especially when you're a child. And he's like, remember when you were a child and the first snow would come, you know? And when, when that first snow comes, you do feel like it, even, you know, even as a middle-aged middle-aged guy who hates the snow in some ways when that first snow comes it changes the world like your your whole backyard is different um i think a lot of people who don't live in 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 snow cultures don't realize that the light changes you know like it becomes incredibly like the 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 brightness of night gets turned up by i don't know like a lot all of a sudden like you have to to close where you weren't closing maybe your your shades in the area where no one could see you you know um as soon as the snow comes you have to because the moon is bouncing off the snow and the stars and all and all that but it really does change change our lives and and i always notice in my neighborhood it even sounds different Mm. outside 
like the 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 acoustics change where things just get much louder at night. It's just a weird yeah. total transformation. Absolutely. Yeah, and Rosa kind of wants to talk about this kind of magical moment of that, you know, the snow. But one of the the things that makes the snow so magical, that first snow, is that you can't control it. You know, you can't control when it snows. And, and you know, people always are asking, he, he has this little line, and that meteorologists are always asked right around Christmas, will it be a white Christmas? And this this sense that if it if the snow would make it this kind of magical experience, but you can't really control it. I mean, you can do things, like when you were little, you probably had the experience of, you know, you love the snow so much, and then you try to, like, you make a snowman, and you try to put it in the freezer, or you even just try to keep a snowball in the freezer. And as soon as you try to do that, it destroys it. Like, snow snow cannot, uh, you know, be kept in many ways. Like, it can't be kept in a refrigerator. It just becomes ice. And then, of course, if you're... If you have a big resort, you might have snowmaking machines. But anyone who skis or snowboards will tell you that artificial snow is not the same as, you know, real fresh powder that 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 comes. And so Rose's whole point in this book is that there is this real importance to have this experience with the world, to have these actions in the world that make us feel addressed and spoken to that it's uncontrollable and that as soon as we try to control it, we we lose something significant. Um but the temptation, and I think we see this in this this show, is one of the reasons that we move to uh, we move to control things is because the uncontrollable does well. It brings risk to us, obviously, but it also uh, like the snow is an experience of being alive, and you start to think, oh man, if we could just if we could just guarantee this was going to happen, um, that the the sense of being alive draws you to want to con- control it often. Like the reach into the world leads you to try to control the world in a significant way. Um, or you feel like Rose's whole point is what we often, the reason we accelerate our lives so much in modernity is because we're often afraid of what we might lose. And in the show, the guy's just afraid of the awkward situation, the, the fear of not being prepared. And so he tries to control every every second of it. I did go kind of back and forth because at another level, I thought it's kind of beautiful to rehearse this because it, it makes him incredibly reflective. Like he keeps reflecting on what it means to act in the world. And that's quite beautiful but even that, even the modern experience of being aware that we're actors in the world, that we even have power to affect the world, leads us into this deep temptation to control the world. And I, I just I started to wonder about that uncontrollability in relation to like pastoral ministry or congregational life of how much we would like, how much we think like success is dependent on us controlling situations um, or the best ministries have the most control, control how many people come, control how many dollars you have, um, can just simply control the way even even the worship service, the way the worship service unfolds. And maybe one of the reasons the children's sermon is sometimes so poignant and beautiful is because it becomes one of the few moments within the worship, the, the worship uh, service where is uncontrollable. What kids might say uh, is actually quite uncontrollable and it's really beautiful. And it, it, it puts everyone, uh, you know, metaphorically on their toes because they don't know what's going to be, be said. And in a kind of secular age like ours, where we're not really sure God's going to show up in any uncontrollable way when we pray, maybe kids will say something funny. Um, uh, you know, so I, I just, there's a certain dynamic of the uncontrollability that I think is important here.
No, and I, I think there's the burnout factor as well, too, because I, I feel that sense of trying to control all of these details all the time and control all these environmental factors and, and things that maybe you can't even. And, and that just gets to you after a while. And that burnout is real and you get tired and it deadens that resonance too when you're just exhausted all the time. Yeah. And the anxiety and the burnout really are two very different responses to the necessity to control, um, you know, to have control and to have a hard time embracing the uncontrollability, you know, that that you have to control all variables, that you have to make sure that you rehearse more. Um yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just think that that it's somewhat in this experience of being able to brace the uncontrollability that um, that we can find life, and that you know there should be something for for theologians and for for pastors and others that that makes a lot of sense with that you know God is an uncontrollable reality, and what you're doing is testifying to witnessing to a living God, and the minute you think God is controllable. And that you could even rehearse is the minute that you've missed something really profound, I think. Well, and it's also the definition of idolatry, isn't it? Trying to, you know, make an image of God that you can control yourself. Absolutely. And harness God's that power and use it to your own ends. I mean, that's that's yep. it's kind of the first commandment, if I remember my uh, Sunday school right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. It's the first commandment. I mean, in many ways, yeah. I mean... The first commandment of embracing the uncontrollability of God uh, sets terms for all other kind of senses of moral vision, I think, and, and what it means to live well. Um, I think that's, kind of, that's really deeply fascinating. When Church Stops Working, featuring Dr. Andrew Root, is a podcast produced by me, Derek Tronsgaard. And a special thanks to our sponsor, Baker Publishing. You can grab Andy's brand new book, The Church After Innovation, which is out now on Amazon or wherever else you get your books, and look for his other titles as well. Thank you so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time for another round of When Church Stops Working.